care team, led by Professor Sue Yendel at the University of Sheffield, is exploring how care arrangements currently in crisis in parts of the UK can be made sustainable and deliver wellbeing outcomes. We aim to support policy and practice actors and scholars to conceptualise sustainability in care as an issue of rights, values, ethics and justice, as well as of resource distribution. Our Care Matters series includes publications, podcasts and blogs from our team and others working towards sustainable care. Hello and welcome to Care Matters, a podcast series from the Sustainable Care Research Programme. I'm Carla Zimpolio. Uh, I'm an Innovation Fellow at the University of Sheffield in the UK, and my research is on emerging and disruptive models of home care for older adults, and I'm looking at how these models are shaping the care market in England. And I have the pleasure to welcome Professor Shireen Hussain, to talk to me today about her latest research on migrant workers in England's home care sector. Professor Shireen Hussain is an Associate Director at the Personal Social Services Research Unit at the University of Kent and also a Professor of Care and Health Policy Evaluation. She is a demographer with expertise in labour migration, sociology and economics. Her current research focuses on ageing demographics, long-term care demand and migration within the UK and Europe, and also its implications on policy and practice. So Shireen, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me about your research. Uh, and without further ado, let's start with our first question. So you are leading a work stream uh, within the Sustainable Care Research Programme. Can you tell me a little bit more about the research you are doing with migrant care workers? and why is an important topic to study. Well, thank you very much, Carla, for inviting me on this podcast. So the Sustainable Care Research Programme is really focused on home care or delivery of care at people's home, which is a very important kind of a policy to maintain ageing in place and um, ensure that people who are wanting and able to remain at home in their communities are able to do that in the best way possible. And this is a, a trend and a policy that we can see not only in the UK, but in Europe and in many other countries. My work on this program is really to focus on a very important contribution, which is the contribution of migrant care workers to this particular um, sector within, within social care, which is home care, and also in the light of considerable changes to the UK immigration policy, uh, particularly Brexit. And the reason that this is really important is the fact that migrants have always significantly contributed to the social care sector, and in particular to home care. So the percentage of uh, migrant workers in the sector in general stands around 18-19% uh, in home care, it, it rises up to nearly 24%. And, and while this contribution is, is, is continuing, the, their profile is changing and is, is directly affected by uh, UK immigration policies. Rather than, in more specifically, the social care market dynamics, 
Um, so if we look over the past uh, 10, 15 years and we see uh, the changes in the immigration policies with, for example, uh, changes to um, the immigration cap, to um, things like making it more difficult for senior care workers to receive a work permit, etc., we see actually a, a, a almost a mirrored reflection in the, the profile of migrants with these kind of key points of time and points of change. So, for example, 10, 15 years ago, you would find the majority of uh, home care workers to be coming, for example, from the Philippines, from uh, the Indian subcontinent, from Africa, with um, nursing qualifications. So they came through certain routes, through the work permits route or others. They've been recruited, for example, to, through that route. And, and while they are doing their uh, qualification recognition, uh, they would be working in the home care sector for that period of time. Now, with the, the changes to the immigration policies and expansion of the European Union, particularly through to, towards Central and Eastern Europe, we could see a complete reflection where increasingly we're seeing more and more people coming from uh, Poland, from Romania, from Bulgaria, and, and they become the almost the major part of this, uh, of this structure. So now with Brexit and with these changes, we need to think about what's going to happen to the home care market. And my theme looking at this through two, two kind of blends, one looking at the sustainability of the workforce in terms of uh, how you're going to fill gaps. There's always the demand is increasing. How are you going to think about the supply with migrants, core part of that? And a well-being lens where we it's really important to ensure that care in general is ensuring the well-being of all people involved. So we're thinking about the services of the older person themselves receiving care, uh, their families, but also the care workers themselves. So these are the lens of the work and the theoretical framework that we're thinking about. And in light of these do developments, we have discussions with the sector to look at what the, the, the kind of support organization would need to have to provide these two elements of sustainability and well-being. Um, and, and a core element of our work as well is the international component of that. So we recognize that the UK is not alone in this experience. There are so many other countries, whether they are high-income or middle-income countries, who have the same issues because of population changes and demographic changes, where the demand for care in general and home care in particular is increasing. And what have they done to kind of address these issues and challenges? So we are looking at countries like Canada, like Australia, Germany, and, and other countries um, like South Korea, and looking at what are the, the kind of uh, development and policy development that they have adapted and are there any lessons we can learn within the UK context and, and, and the changes that we are experiencing. That's great. Thank you, Shireen. So you also recently uh, written a policy and practice brief about migrant workers in England. What would you say is the role that migrant workers play in the home care sector? 
Yeah, so the brief is really partially reflecting or mainly reflecting some of the findings we had so far from this theme of work. So just to give you an idea what we've been doing. So we had um, a review, obviously, of existing evidence so on the contribution of migrant care workers in the UK. We have conducted uh, a survey uh, of uh, 32 experts, uh, stakeholders. We are now conducting the second round of that, but the policy brief reflects only the first round. We had interviews and discussions with uh, migrant home, court, home care workers themselves and providers of care, so people who employ uh, agencies which employ uh, workers to, to provide home care. And we also did a comparative analysis of the sustainability of migrant care work in eight OECD countries. It's really important to realize that we collected the data at a very sensitive time. So our data were collecting between 2019 and 2020, where not only we had a lot of uncertainty associated with um, the UK departure from the European Union, um, an uncertainty of the future immigration systems, how would it look like, uh, but also at the beginning of 2020, when a COVID-19 pandemic has hit everywhere, uh, and we capture that very, very little at the beginning when we, uh, towards the end of our interviews. But just to come back to your question about the role that migrant care workers play in home care sector, um, the, the home care sector, I would say, is heavily dependent on migrant workers. And, and the, the work that they do at home is quite varied and through different means. So they would work um, through an agency, for example, to go to provide care uh, for a certain set amount of time, whether it's um, half an hour or two hours, how many days a week. But they range to also include a living carers, which is um, an increasingly uh, becoming an, an increasingly important phenomena, which has indeed a feature of the UK system traditionally, but it's more and more we are seeing kind of self-funders or people on kind of personal budgets opting to that option. And, and we see that this option is likely to be attractive, particularly to migrants, because it comes with accommodation. Uh, so it, it looks attractive. One of the things that I would like also to highlight is that the contribution of migrant workers to home care has been quite stable. So it, it, it was quite astonishing to look at trends from uh, 10 years ago and to see that the contribution was quite stable. So it's around the 19, 20% mark. And that didn't change despite the changes in immigration policies. So there was substitution across migrants, that, but there, isn't, there wasn't reduction. Um, and obviously, the workforce is growing. So while the percentage remain stable, the numbers actually grow. Um, and that is quite important when we think about sustainability. And the other element I want to highlight is the role of geography and big cities. So while we're talking about nationally, it's around the 20% mark. This can be considerably higher in the capital in London and also in big cities in southeast. So that's quite important when we think about policy and practice implication when we are going through this big change uh, with Brexit and, and everything else. Yeah, so we have a, a huge importance of migrant workers. So all these people, how, how do they actually access the home care market in England? 
Well, currently, as you know, Carla, the, the, the immigration policy uh, routes that are available does not really allow a direct recruitment from other countries. So while previously there were some routes like, um, for example, senior care workers uh, as an occupation was on the migration shortage list, which allowed some employers to employ uh, directly through work permit, etc. This is not a, a possibility or a route anymore. The reliance has been on the free mobility that comes with EU treaty and the ability of migrants to move and to choose. So a lot of the migrants would have come to the UK to to look for jobs or for a new life, and then they would be uh, attracted or find or find uh, vacancies in the sector. But also other groups of migrants who has come on different types of visas. So obviously we're talking about migrants who are not British citizens. We're not talking about uh, people who are born outside the UK, but now are citizens or British nationals. Um, so these are still people who their nationality is not British, but they might have come through different visas, uh, for example, youth mobility schemes, or we're seeing increasingly ancestor visa schemes, particularly from places like South Africa, uh, family visa coming to a company, uh, a spouse. And then well, while they are in the UK, they would, uh, they would find jobs in the sector. The other thing also that is we found quite interestingly that um, some agencies actively recruit from certain places in Europe. So, for example, especially Eastern and Central Europe. And rather than relying on people coming to the UK, they would uh, basically recruit from there, offer them while they are in their countries. So obviously, these things are quite fluid at the moment. We're not quite sure how the dynamics would remain. Um, there are lots of thinking about what other uh, sort of visas could potentially be developed to allow uh, some mobility as well. But at the moment, this is this is how they come across the, the sector and access the home care market. Yes, yes, that's great. You also mentioned on the policy and practice brief that some migrant home care workers experience unfair and exploitative practices. I know, you know, that affects uh, their well-being as well. Can you please elaborate a bit about that? Yes, I think we really need to realize that migrant home care workers are migrants to start with. And all migrants have inherent vulnerability. And that is basically due to limited uh, social capital within the UK. So if people are arriving to any new host country, there will be kind of uh, barriers to, for example, understanding the culture, the general system, how it works. Uh, and when we think about Europe and that how many languages are spoken in Europe, language can be a very, very, very difficult uh, and important barrier as well. So, for example, uh, it, it's really interesting, the language issue, because for people who come traditionally through uh, a more restrictive immigration route, they have been subjected to certain tests in English and they have some kind of important that they have some basic uh, understanding of the language. When you have free mobility between many countries which uh, doesn't share, you know, they do not share the same language uh, and that is not a prerequisite, then language can be can become a barrier, particularly when you think about employment regulation and rules and legal issues where the language can be quite tricky. So that they, they come through this kind of inherent you know, inherent vulnerability. Uh, but also when we think about care 
itself and the, and the cultural sensitivity of care um, and the emotional stress and work associated with the type of work, social networks and support become really, really important. And, and for many migrants, they do not have this sort of support in the UK. So we've seen a lot of examples of, of migrants who come, um, you know, who leave their families in Europe, for example, and travel to the UK to do work and then go back. So they're more of circular migrants and, and they do not have the usual kind of perhaps home support and family support and community support that perhaps other workers, British workers might have. In addition, because of these kind of pure understanding of the systems, uh, they might not be aware of all their rights. So we've seen examples where because some migrants are not aware of their employment rights, they actually have been subjected to exploitive practice, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally. So... We, for example, I'll give you some uh, some examples, especially for those recruited directly from Eastern Europe and uh, and Central Europe. So, for example, we've seen some undeclared employment or bogus self-employment. Some agencies would leave workers unprotected in terms of entitlement entitlement to sick leave, holiday pay, uh, or other employment-related benefits. Some employers or agencies would not pay uh, the UK national minimum wage because the way they devise the contract, which is like uh, a block, like you, you've got to have this uh, job, which is a week pay of £300. But when you break it down to number of hours, you actually find that it does not meet the minimum wage, the hourly minimum wage. Um, in addition to other kind of more softer promises, unrealistic or false promises of continued employment, uh, which can mislead or trap, uh, entrap workers. And um, so, for example, also the, the reliance of some migrants on the agencies and providing things like accommodation or, um, or other benefits that, that can entrap them. Other financial difficulties, because one of the, the, the issues of migrant workers in general, that a lot of them are motivated by financial pressures. So they would like to uh, increase their income to, to be able to send remittances and to cover their living expenses. And thus, they would likely to accept unfair treatment or lower pay, longer hours, etc., to maintain that. So even that they might be aware, so there are two elements here. Some people are not aware of their rights um, and they are entrapped or, you know, they, they're not aware of the system, but other people might be aware of what is happening, but because they have all these financial pressures, they are likely to accept lower pay. They accept difficult and challenging kind of work environments because they, they don't want to risk losing the job because it's so important to have a continuous payment uh, not to have disruptive payment because there are other people who are reliant on them back home. And and I, I you know, this has to be understood within the, the larger concept of care because care is can be rewarding. And a lot of people we spoke to have, you know, stressed this point that they come to care work because it's rewarding. They like the human interaction. They prefer it, for example, from uh, picking fruits or stacking shelves. But that, you know, that's that's very important and I'm, I'm not undermining that. But also some elements of work can be quite stressful and challenging, whether you're a migrant worker or a British worker. And particularly there are a set of challenges that are associated with living carers, 
which an area where we see an increasing contribution uh, of migrants. And of course, on top of that, you get the general issue of racism and discrimination, and especially migrants with certain social markers, perhaps it's, you know, visible kind of color or accent or dress code. Um, and, and when they deal not only with the services, but their families, and perhaps if they are from uh, certain communities or or maybe rural areas where they haven't seen lots of uh, diversity. Um, so the, these are all kind of uh, important issue. And what we've seen that it has kind of consequences, it showed consequences of migrants' well-being, uh, whether in terms of isolation, isolation particular to home care, because home care is not like care homes where you deliver care within a team, uh, but you deliver care on your own. And, and in most cases, you do not see another co-worker for quite a while. Uh, so you don't really talk to people about any issues and you keep it to yourself. And that would result in a strain uh, and potential impact on well-being, the mental well-being, uh, burnout and frustration sometimes, especially in living care, when there are blurred kind of boundaries between what is work and what is personal time. And this applies, of course, to both migrants and British workers. So um, what I'm saying that if you do not have a larger social network support, then it's more likely to have a toll on you and an impact on you. Definitely. Absolutely. So when you interviewed these experts and collected their views on current challenges in the sector, what 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 issues did they highlight? Yes, yeah, so part of our work we conducted a two round uh, two rounds of Delphi survey. So the the, the policy brief uh, only reflects on the first round, and the second round is currently underway. So obviously the first round took place just prior COVID, so we didn't have any um, any feedback on COVID. We're hoping to capture that uh, in the second round. Uh, but basically, there was a lot of uncertainties within that time. Uh, there were obviously risks that stakeholders saw risks and challenges due to Brexit. There were the main things that they have um, highlighted in priorities because we asked them about different uh, areas where it's it's important. The risks related to further austerities, of course, you know, funding has always been an issue for social care and they feared that there will be further funding. And that combined with an expected decline in migrant workers from EU, that was shown as a main risk in kind of uh, the sustainability of the delivery of care and meeting the demands. And also some of them highlighted the issues of that within these dynamics, you might find further weakening of workers' rights in general within this sector. So not only migrants, but in general. They actually, one of the solutions that they highlighted that we is looking at EU nationals that are already in home care jobs and how they can, uh, providers and employers and the system, the government support them to apply for settled status and support them to continue working in the sector. So that is an important element they saw as a way to address the challenges. So, Shireen, now that you touched on the Brexit challenge, what exactly are the implications that it has on the sector and the migrant workers? 
Well, yes, there, there are quite a lot of implications. We just, um, you know, given some data and information on the contribution of migrant workers to the sector and also how their profile changed and, and, and shifted from coming from basically primarily from outside the EU to primarily from within uh, the EU. So something like Brexit will directly have an implication on, on once you end the free movement and stop relying on people who are coming. But at the same time, you know, we've got some discussion about a point-based, uh, like a universal point-based system, which will be introduced to all non-UK citizens. Uh, however, this system might not be flexible enough to allow people to come specifically to work on home care, mainly because the, the, the point system, would you need like 70 points and with the low wages and part of these points are calculated in relation to the, the, the income that you will generate uh, through jobs within the UK. And if you are talking about a low paid sector, then this is very difficult to to really, um, it's very unlikely to score that high to be able to go through the system. So um, there are some proposals to, to address these issues and also there are wider strategies to think about. So obviously from the wider strategies, we've got to have a, a, a short, medium and long plans to ensure the sustainability of this workforce um, and to try to tap onto many other groups around the country that are already here and uh, British nationals, of course, um, different age groups. However, when you think about that the unemployment rate in general is not that high, so you know that within the S you've got certain opportunities, but you cannot, you know, kind of statistically fulfill all the numbers. So you still need to think about some proposals around migration and how you allow this to happen. Uh, so there are some time-limited proposal, like, you know, migrants to come over a period of time uh, or through kind of certain mobility schemes. And this needs really to be carefully considered within a sector like care, uh, where skills development and training and building relationship is quite important and it takes time. So basically you invest in people joining the sector, you invest in them, um, increasing their ability, understanding the system. And that links back to what we talked about when we talked about vulnerability and not knowing the system. So if it's time limited, by the time you know the system and by the time you understand the care dynamics and the culture of care and build relationship with, with service users, um, you actually basically have to go. So that is not whether that is a sustainable solution or not. So, so basically there are skills to this sector. However, it's not really formally really recognized um, and how we're going to recognize this. So there are quite a considerable com implications for the whole sector to consider and particularly home care where it is really important because it, you know, you go to people's own homes and you have to be trained and skilled to do that job. Um, there are, of course, some elements that we can learn, as we said, from other countries, but this has to be adapted to the, the, the UK situation. Definitely. It's been great, Shireen, but just to wrap up as a final question, what is a, a kind of a main message you would have for policymakers? about migrant workers in, in England's home care? Yes, well, basically, it's really important to recognise the important role they play. 
within the system, so within the delivery to individual uh, users, but within the system. So we have to have a whole system approach. Um, and there is a really, maybe this is a point of time when we have to think about the social care system as a whole system, how that could be recognized. That's the core underlying problem that the pay is low, it's unrecognized, it's considered a low-skilled, low-qualification. So this is a point of time when we really need to work on the social care image. The other point that we will need migrant workers, at least during the short and medium term. And thus we need to find a solution where it would be suitable to bring in migrant workers into that sector in a way that ensures the quality of care and well-being. Again, I would say there are some countries we can learn from, uh, particularly Australia and Canada, but adapt these to our own situation. Great. Thank you, Shireen. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you about your research and your continuing work in the fields of aging, migration and long-term care. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for inviting me. It was my pleasure.